G'day and welcome to the Grow Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Truen. Each week, we speak with an owner who has grown a business with 5 to 30 team members to something bigger. Diving into their numbers and unearthing the pain they've experienced, we explore what they did to overcome each barrier and what they would do differently from day one. Let's get into it. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm interviewing Richard Blank from Costa Rica's call center based in San Jose, Costa Rica. Thanks for your time today, Richard. I am so happy to be here today, Troy. Really nice to be with you and your audience. Let's start with how we know each other. So you reached out on the website and thought you might be a good guest to come on. We were just chatting before we hit record. I have been to Costa Rica. It's a beautiful place and you've lived there now for about 22 years, haven't you? Yeah, I came down here at 27 years old. I took a one in a million chance and had this one in a million opportunity and landed in a friend's call center, learned it from the inside and out. Next thing you know, I doubled down, started my own, and here we are almost 15 years later. Fantastic. Tell our audience a bit about your business, what it does and how it makes money. Okay. We are a bilingual, dedicated, nearshore to the United States call center. We handle outbound sales, appointment setting lead generation, inbound customer support, and also back office non-voice support. The agents are brilliant. Anyone that walks in the door bilingual to me bears the mark of higher education. And a lot of them do have experience working at Amazon and the other large centers. But I don't know about you. I like them when they come in with no bad habits. And we can mold them and I can give them that sort of self-reliance and self-confidence to see the art and speech because most people today are doing things via chat or email. And I believe that a lot of people are losing the ability to communicate effectively and, and to make your point. And so it's the one thing that I really embraced and built a very large call center. Yeah, great. How did you start out? Started out very easy. I learned the business. As I mentioned, I worked at my friend's place for four years and I was studying retention, customer support, pretty much did the entire center for four years, onboarding and training. The only thing I didn't know was C-level. And so when I had the opportunity to start this project, I didn't want to overextend myself. I like to do things with cash because if you can't afford it, you just don't do it. And so what I was doing was renting a turnkey station at a blended call center where, you know, the computers, the setup, the security, the coffee and the lights were there, but it just had no privacy. So it's a very conservative way for me to be able to build out stations and get some capital, pay the taxes and my overhead and make a margin. And so I did that for a little while. And then once I really was able to understand what was happening, I decided to bring on a human resources department, attorneys, once again, IT department, engineers, individuals that'd be assist me to build out a 150 seat center with the server room, the equipment and the furniture. And then eventually I built out a 300 seat capacity center, which we are currently residing in. And so my suggestion for your audience when building a small business, in my case, was to do it slow and steady to make things nice, but once again, not overextend yourself with penthouse and limousines when it's really not necessary. The most important thing is to be responsible for payrolls and taxes and the priority so your lights are still turned on and then you usually make that money last. And so by having that sort of reputation, paying the people and being responsible for the Costa Rican labor law, I was able to give people job stability. And so they entrusted me with those years and that sort of career. That's fantastic. Over 15 years. So did you have when you started out, was it just yourself? (laughs) Definitely. It was just me out of my own home when I put up my website in October of 2007. But a couple months later, in February 6th of 2008, I landed my first account. It was for one seat, 50 hours. It was a part-time account. And 
I couldn't believe it. I mean, if anything or nothing, you saw it sprouting and growing. So, you know, if you give it some water and some sunlight and love and maybe sing to it, it might grow. And I was determined. I saw the spark. I know I could do this. The most important thing was to be forthright with clients and have no surprises. And as long as I was accountable, picked up the phone, sent an email, made suggestions, I was able to carry these accounts long term. Because you could be with a 10-year account or a first-day account, they're still testing you in that first month. And the best thing that I could do is just to give myself the sort of foundation of the people bringing into the center, that even though they were new and they were testing the account as well to see if it was long-term, I let them know the score. I gave them all of their resources. I assisted them in regards to their delivery and vocabulary so they could pack a punch. And by doing so, they were more engaged. They were doing more active listening taking more copious notes. And when someone makes a phone call like that and has that sort of relationship on the phone, there's a very good chance for retention, upsell, referral, and even exit interview. And so those are the sort of things that we were looking at here. Yeah, great. Phenomenal growth over 15 years, starting with yourself now, 150 people. So congratulations on that growth. That's very impressive. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. And it's, it's not just me. I mean, I do have a different layers of hierarchy here. Besides the C-levels, I have many different supervisors and team leads and even budding superstars that you can tell that with a little bit of direction, they could easily be in line for the next promotion. And so we usually do about a 10 to a 15 one supervisor to agent yeah. breakdown. And then within that, let's say, let's make it 10 to one. And out of those 10 agents, you will still have individuals, as I mentioned, a couple rock stars. That as long as they have impulse control, maturity, and certain coaching and training, there's no reason why you and I can't delegate, Troy, and give them additional responsibilities so they can test these certain levels to see if they're capable. And if they are, we give them more. And then when another account comes in, then obviously this champ is ready to go to run the ship on his own because he understands the protocol. I don't need a yes man. I want someone that wants to win. But if they see something I don't on the floor, they should bring it to our attention so we can adjust the gameplay and make it even better. Yeah, and that's important balance. We'll get to culture later on, but your leadership style to have that honesty or people to have the freedom and the courage to be able to call bullshit or hold you to account and say, I don't think that's right. And I've seen plenty of examples where the owners of small businesses or the leaders, their ego is not in check. They're aggressive bullies or the team are just scared to raise anything. And that's not good for anyone, particularly the business. Someone could always quit. We have a lot of call centers here. It's a seller's market. So besides offering a gamification culture where I have pinball machines, Pac-Man, air hockey tables, I mean, that's one thing. That's recess. The most important thing, my friend, when I was here at 27 years old back in August of 2000, I saw the dignity. Not saying my friend didn't treat these individuals well. He had thousands of people. He didn't have the time to know everyone. But in the call center industry, in any sort of industry, individuals feel vulnerable, expendable, once again, have not been given their dignity. And I just want to make sure that I extend to them some sort of empathy. Why? Because I've been in the ring. I've taken one to the chin. I've been hung up on before, but I've also closed a very big deal. And in industries where people burn out, Not only did I survive it, I thrived in it and then started my own call centers because besides the movies and when people get called during dinner and they feel annoyed by phone calls, there's a lot of people that can resolve issues and once again, build companies. And so we're very selective of the campaigns that come in here. We don't want to compromise ethics, values, or morals. The agent needs to feel 
fulfilled when they're making these calls. They should be able to go home and tell their parents what they do for a living chore. And so that to me, I believe reduces any sort of attrition and you're not compromising your ethics to pay for the lights or to beg for an account. People see these things. And you and I are a guest, and you mentioning all the countries that you've traveled to, including Costa Rica, where we're guests in countries sometimes. Mm. So we really want to do the right things when we're here. Yeah. So I think I've had enough coffee this morning. You were 34 when you started the business. <laughs> That's correct. Around that age, yes. You're 35, so, I think. Yeah. So tell the audience maybe a little bit about that transition because you worked for your friend's business for four years. I'm just keen to know how did that go? You basically becoming a competitor? No, not really. I mean, he was having his own business. I was the one trying to bring in certain accounts. But I guess if you're competing for labor pool, that's one thing. But I always believe in the philosophy of me today, you tomorrow. If you have friends, it's because you're nice to them and they like you. If no Mm. one comes to your birthday party, you have no friends. (laughs) All fair is love and war. I'm only 150 and people decide to come with me for multiple reasons. I did tell you this. I do lose people and it's usually from natural attrition. I'm not looking to fire you. I'll lose somebody because of a scheduling conflict of the university. Maybe they're closer to their home or your boyfriend or girlfriend works there fine. Very rarely, if not never, someone will say that I defaced them on the floor. I didn't prepare them, gave them the walk of shame. These are the sort of things that we just not do here. But let's get back to my transition. I was getting older. I mean, I had my last hurrah at 27. I came to Costa Rica, so I got a chance to shed some skin and begin again and really have a natural life. Little did I know I needed to earn a living. And (laughs) and working at my friend's center was very good. It was a comfortable lifestyle. But you and I know cage size and the extent of our wingspan. And I wanted to at least test life. Wanted to drink it, yep. see what I could do. And so at 35, I do know this. I had impulse control. I had more maturity. I had some money saved because I was working with my family's real estate business prior to starting this call center. Between working at my friend's center, I was still living here. And time was going fast. I wanted to see. I needed to do this. And maybe the timing was right. Everything was set up for me. That blended center I could rent, working out of my home having an incredible wife that supported me and helped me build this business. Cost of living here is about a third. I knew the business inside and out. It was just a matter of just the stars being aligned, being at the right place at the right time. And when people called me, I just wasn't a guy that cut checks. I was able to discuss their scripts with them. And I would close my eyes and imagine a packed room and walking the rows with this client and maybe even doing some role play just because you got to give him a taste of it to see if I can build him a team and see what I could do. And when they realize that they like that sort of personal approach and a hands-on sort of relationship, I started landing a lot of accounts. Now, here's the skinny. It's very difficult to follow certain labor laws in another country. And also you may have a certain culture in your own home office that may not translate well into another culture. And so I had to be very, very careful of an over-enthusiastic supervisor in the United States that liked to use, and not saying there's something wrong with it, my man, but certain types of profanity at the wrong time. (laughs) Maybe they would like to bold cap you and just thought that's first psychology when in fact you could be catching somebody on a wrong day and that's all they need for them to walk out the door and not make calls. And they're not with them. They don't break bread or walk the rows or see them in the morning. I do. 
And you and I both know that there are some things that happen outside of the office that may be affecting their <laughs> performance. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. And that's why when I have direct reports, which I don't at the moment, the first question I ask in their weekly one-on-one is, how are you going? And it's a very open question for a good reason, because there could be shit going on at home you're just not aware of. Because unless you spend invest that 30 minutes a week to sit down with them for a start, first 10 minutes on them, next 10 minutes is for you to give them feedback and coaching and talk about their progress. The last 10 minutes is on their professional development. But opening with that question is, is I've been in awe at how much more I get to understand what a person's going through. So then I can adjust my expectations or give them more support at work. True, but we still need to be strong. Someone needs to captain the ship. It's not hit the ball and drag Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> we all need to produce. But I tell you what, a lot of the times it's about a rebalance, a refocus, a cup of coffee, some water on your face. Or how about this? Let's just even take it a step back. In my industry, we have a quality control department. So we record all the calls. We grade you for KPIs and metrics. You and I are focusing more on soft skills, the name drops, the rebuttals, the tie downs. But listen, if I let you listen to you, and Troy, you realize you're yelling, you're interrupting, you forgot to say his name three times in a row already. Yep. What's wrong with you today? It's very easy for you through self-analysis to make those self-adjustments. And really the coaching is about your own balance. You've done it before. I saw you do seven last week. Why are you at two today? And why aren't you saying good morning to me? Why are you bitter? Usually you're the life of the party and standing when you're calling. And so I'm going to bend you because I believe in you. I'm not going to break you. And Troy, if you can't get through this level, then how are you going to expect to do other levels? You want to make a hundred grand a year? How are you going to do that if you can't even do this? And don't kid yourself. I didn't start off as a business owner. No one studies call center management in college <laughs> or tells your mother in high school that's what yeah. you want to be. Yeah. You fall into this. The fortune favors the brave. Mm. The volunteer raises his hand. And I decided to do this once again through empathy because I put myself in their shoes because I've made these calls before. So I know what it's like on a rainy Wednesday or the sort of aesthetics that you should be putting on your desk. To motivate yourself, or if I just got to get Philly real with you, and you do your Australian Tanzanian with me, <laughs> and we just step to the side and we just let each other know, man to man, what's up, and to get that second win, then by all means, maybe we need to go there every now and again, just to make sure that it just doesn't spiral out of control. Do you have any other numbers you want to share to illustrate the growth of business? Very impressive. As I said earlier, over 15 years and currently building or residing in a 300 seat call center is amazing. Well, let's look at it like this. I mean, I chose an industry that's extremely lucrative and the margins are there. The thing is, is your overhead. In the beginning, I had, I couldn't do overhead. So I just almost paid a la carte and made the lowest. It's like the smallest piece of pizza. But I still got some pizza and it's yep. still working. You make enough, you can get fat. But I realized ways to adjust those percentages. And the first thing was, instead of paying somebody for this a la carte, I started getting my own furniture, which reduced that rate. The same thing with the computer, the equipment, renting your own space. Because once you start hitting a couple dozen agents, it makes no no sense be paying x amount per station each month yeah and then from there you take the rent away and you start doing the building 
And then in order for me to grow, once again, it's delegating. You might think you're paying somebody a little bit more money, but if you're capable of bringing in 10 seeds compared to focusing on just one seed, it makes sense. Don't, don't be greedy. You don't need to pick up everything. I think a lot of the times there's a lot of reinvestment and it's not just in your equipment and infrastructure and your savings and treasure, but it's really in your people. Now, the soft spot is not paying them too much to where they get lazy or too little to where they quit. There always needs to be something to strive for. Me, I got very lucky. A lot of it has to do with languages. So once again, being in a certain environment where they can increase their English computer skills and certain sort of verticals in the United States gives them more marketability. So I have that sort of leverage. But somebody else... If anything of nothing and the margins are so tight that you really don't know what else to do, then bring in a plant in the office. Maybe make it natural lighting instead of bad lighting. Maybe think of ways to create an environment to make it better for people, even by just knowing somebody's name and not making them uncomfortable. Those are the sort of things that maybe you can begin with. Because then, as you were mentioning, instead of absorbing, your coworkers might start contributing and start mentioning things to you that you never even thought about. And that's where you can potentially begin. Yeah. When was the moment you felt like you had succeeded? (laughs) That first day, first client. Oh, I knew it then. Like a spark before a huge inferno. You know when you see the first spark, the first raindrop that comes down. I don't know. You tell me. All I know, there was a shift in physics. There was a serious momentum. It wasn't, I told you so. It was like, it's about time. (laughs) And so maybe the naysayers and gray believers that said no, is really they just didn't really know what I was doing. Because how could you compare no's to somebody that was going to medical school? law school, engineering, and architecture, I decided to study second languages. And then again, instead of going into a family business or staying close to home, I decided to become an expat. But check this. My great-grandparents came at the turn of the 20th century to the United States from Europe. They learned English. They were entrepreneurs in the garment industry. They started their lives. So my argument at 18 years old, Troy, was to tell my parents I was just doing what our great-grandparents were doing, but instead of Europe, I'm going south. We're, we're nomads. It's natural in us. We shouldn't really stay in one place. Now, I'm not going to go live in the rainforest in a tree, <laughs> but there was a certain thing in me that was calling me to do something different than what was expected of me and the opinions that were provided for me. And so maybe it was being selfish. But then again, I didn't want to live somebody else's life, Troy. I really just wanted to live my own life and with good intentions and good faith. What does success look like to you? Looking at myself in the mirror. It's not financial because guess what? You're probably going to say, I don't have enough money. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm not going to compare myself that way. I think success is about fulfilling personal goals. You want to do 10 push-ups, do 11. My main goal as a child was to learn to speak Spanish and also to find the girl of my dreams, to maybe leave a castle one day and slay a dragon, (laughs) save a princess and become a prince. And so I go back to the basics of things that as a child, I strive to do before the influences of society and what's important or what puts you in pressure. And so I'm still just trying to keep this free and natural. And so my friend, if I can look at myself in the mirror and know that I had another successful day of being richer, then I did it. And then hopefully tomorrow I wake up and get to do it again. Number one thing you'd recommend to marketing a fast-growing business? I know you're B2B, so I'm interested to hear your take on what you've done marketing-wise here, your best advice. 
Very simple, if I may. I can give you the cracked code mm -hmm. of prospecting for individuals. I believe due diligence is very important. You should look at a LinkedIn profile or maybe a website so you can catch a company culture, an anniversary, maybe some sort of promotion or just something specific in case you need to leave a voicemail or send an email. But when you call a company, let's say you have the guts to make an outbound phone call. What I like to do is I like to do a company name spike. Somebody will answer the name of their company and I'll usually ask how the company is doing, but say the name of their company better than they do. I'm using my anonymity, not for the whole call, that's shady. But my first impression is saying something you're familiar with your company and asking how your company's doing when actually everyone's doing fine. Someone will ask me my name. That's a buffer boomerang technique. I will capture any sort of negative tone. I will name drop you, let you know it's a great question, repeat the question for active listening and send it back to you in a positive tone. And I can readjust any sort of conversation to positive tones after a couple of times. When I get transferred to the decision maker, I will let the individual assisting me that I will be giving them a verbal positive escalation. I do that verbally and at the end of a phone call in writing to a decision maker. Separates you from prospecting shows good faith prior to contracts. Once I get transferred to a decision maker, once again, using my anonymity, instead of doing a company name spike, I'll do a positive escalation spike. I'll let you know how great your assistant was first. Naturally, it reduces any sort of defense from a 10 to a 2. You asking me my name, buffer boomerang, once again, we're in conversations. I also believe in phonetic micro-expression reading. People do give specific tell signs when they are speaking, when you can interject and ask a tie down or pin down question or clarification question. You should usually be mirror imaging a rate and a pitch every 30 seconds to two minutes, the average attention span. And if somebody does a spike or a dip, that's usually your time to jump in there for that sort of clarification. Name drops are very important. I think six to one personal pronoun to name drop is fine. I like name draws for transitional sentences and for the rebuttals and tie downs. Military alphabet is phenomenal. So you don't have to mistake any sort of spelling or a bounce back email. I like raking questions in case you give lists. You can read something, give a couple seconds in between for a positive or negative reinforcement. If it's positive, take horizontal to vertical. Stop open-ended questions and at the end, assume that you like at least one. And these are the sort of things that you can do on these calls to show good faith. That's the skeleton, whatever vertical stick in the middle. But my main thing for you is the positive escalation. Anybody that's assisted you in getting this sort of appointment, you should speak about it and do it in writing. Because if you call that company back, that individual that assisted you the first time, well, thank you for that after all the years they've been working there give you more information about the owner of the company that will assist you and send you on your way. And that's how I would build these pipelines and make friends. And then the next thing you know, I'm landing the account because the individual that answered the cone liked my tone and how I treated them. Yeah, I think because it's quite lacking in particularly in the workplace, positive reinforcement or feedback is just quite rare. So to be genuine and give that positive reinforcement when you're speaking with someone, I could see how that's quite powerful. Well, it's a positive escalation. Your mm. positive reinforcement is what you get after you give the escalation, especially in writing. You used to say Troy was the greatest, told me about your anniversary, congratulations on six years and your promotion. Oh, come on yeah. now. I mean, it's they're handing it to you. It's the woo way. Why are we forcing a fit? Why am I pretending? Why am I lying? I'm going to get caught. If I just go with your flow, it's very interesting how far you and I can flow down that river. Yeah. How did you fund the business? You mentioned 
you saved some cash up before you launched. Have you taken on bank debt investors along the way? Absolutely not. Not a single thing. In fact, as I mentioned, if I get a seat, I pay the rent of that turnkey station. I paid my taxes, paid the agent, and then there's your margin. And in the beginning, it was enough just to survive. But little did I know that three months in, I landed a great account that brought me from like, I think, six seats up to 60. Wow. And so boom, we yeah. grabbed a whip. But how about this? And I know it might be one of your questions. It wasn't all about this trajectory. There's no. always setbacks besides COVID. The account that I landed, I also lost back in 2010. And so thankfully, I had enough acorns to last a winter. But then again, it was the reality check. You know, you go from about 90 seats down to four seats and you say, what do you do? And yeah. it's very humbling. But also, guess what it did do? It taught me that I wasn't a one-trick pony. And Troy, that lightning can strike twice. And I was able to build my business from one seat to about 89 down to four and then back to 150 again. Yeah. And I tell you what, as much as I am upset that that happened, I guess financially you don't make money for a period of time and your ego gets bruised. But you got to ask yourself that serious question. Is the run over? Should we stop now? Should we say, hey, it was great while it lasted? Or do we throw everything back in one more time to see if we can do this? And so my wife and I looked at each other and we said, yeah, come on. <laughs> we came this far. Why not go all the way? Is it a little crazy? Life is crazy. But when you're betting on yourself, I think you have the best odds. Yeah. If you were to start up today with plenty of funding, would you go into your industry? Sure. Absolutely. And if the funding would enable you to give much more competitive base salaries, you can clean up the market. It depends on where you want to be. I think you should be looking for more skill sets. Costa Rica, we have incredible skill sets, amazing infrastructure, great democracy here, 95% literacy rate, neutral accent, okay? But I believe that the call centers are a means to an end. It's an excellent living for individuals with skill sets. You can pay more than most vocations in Costa Rica. If you're talented on the phone, you can earn more than a doctor here. Wow. And so I have seen, oh, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I've seen individuals come into the call center that can literally juggle with their eyes closed. And you have to admire that. It's a craft that they've been working on for years, especially as a second language, the intense concentration on the phone, the expanded vocabulary, the sort of bravado to believe you could do it Mm. at that sort of level is incredible. And so you are seeing people that have such dedicated practice that obviously when the cameras are off and they're out of work, they're still hitting it hard just to make sure that the top of their game Can you outline the most stressful point in your small business growth journey so our audience can learn from it? Sure. It's the attrition rate. It's the staff. If I didn't see these individuals face to face, it would be easier. But as I mentioned earlier, it's a natural attrition. Amazon is here. HP, Intel, Oracle. As much as I can pat myself on the shoulder and brag about my 15 years in business, I'm competing against Jeff Bezos. He's the biggest in the world. And so what do you and I do if this man has the capability of outpaying us, out-billboarding, out-sign, out-commercial, out-location, transportation, on-site doctor, cafeteria, you name it. But guess what they don't have, my main man? They haven't played pinball with their agents. I have. (laughs) Jeff Bezos does give a lot of employment here, but I know everybody's name. Prior to making a single phone call, Troy, I'll at least work with you for a couple hours of soft skills training. 
And so if anything or nothing, you might clean up on 90 out of 100 call center events, but I still get gold in 10 of them. And the ones that I'm talking about are the real good ones. Knowing your name, the empathy, the investment. And so a lot of the people that choose me, because there's so many options, they love the mom and pop, Richard knowing my name, playing pinball with me, excellent location downtown, my ability to grow with you, make a name for myself. Some people do like that. We all don't need 70,000 stadiums. Sometimes you prefer a smaller show, like myself. What area in business do you feel you've had to work on the most to add the greatest value? The IT department, because it's exceptionally expensive to ensure redundancy and reliability and equipment that doesn't fail and that the agents are capable of feeling comfortable with it from the headsets to the double screens and the CPUs. But the server room is just fascinating for me. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to grow, but then when you grow, then the IT guy calls you in and says, it's time to make another purchase. Yeah. And there's only so many people can fit in the car. And yeah. So you realize that that is an incredible investment and the individuals that are in charge of your IT department, because I only choose campaigns and languages I can speak. So it's Spanish and English. And I also choose campaigns I can understand. The IT department, unless I go to school and get these sort of degrees, I'm really not at the mercy, but it's really the faith and these sort of relationships that I have with the individuals that are holding the pulse of my company. If you had, God forbid, the worst employee ever that was vengeful and wanted to hurt you, they could literally walk into that server room, start pulling things, throwing water, kicking, and the next thing you're out of business. And so as much as I wanted to control everything and to be able to check on everything, this is one department that I am up to speed at an executive level. But when there is a code red or implementation, or when we're on the phone with a client's IT department asking me extremely specific and detailed information, I want to make sure not only do we have the backing, but the individuals working with me have the knowledge to properly explain our infrastructure and capabilities. And so that to me was extremely eye-opening. And I'm, can I say I'm still learning? No, I'm still observing. <laughs> Don't expect me to, to pass a final exam test, but I do have the right people in place that have enabled me to, as I mentioned, grow and to give the sort of reassurance to the clients when they entrust me with their business. What have you enjoyed the least about managing fast growth? The time commitment. This is a very hands-on business. I had to make a decision of my time because this isn't something where at five o'clock you go home. This is almost a seven-day-a-week, 24-7 job. You're responsible for so many salaries and families. But also, it's the sort of thing where it's very delicate. And as much as I am a guest in this country, I'm the leader of this ship. And I'm able to do a lot of preventions instead of cures. There's not a lot of fires that I'm putting out, but there's a certain flow and energy that I produce there, that I give to the people. And being there, I'm able to bring up that sort of energy. And that was the sort of, I guess, price that you have to pay if you really want to be successful. But imagine if I had to be by myself in a room crunching numbers, not saying there's anything wrong with that. You decide what you want to do for a living. But if I had chosen to invest 15 years of my life in isolation or in something where I wasn't as engaged with people and watched their own growth, because I've done well 
the thing that I get the most excited about is when individuals crack codes become more marketable and I can see them growing and becoming more confident. And I believe the success is built on a million thank you. So I'm just paying it forward. There are so many individuals that assisted me along the way. So why can't you and I, Troy, be the best boss they ever have? Yeah. Be the one that really was their mentor and called the balls and the strikes. Stranger tie when you needed it, but was there to celebrate when you hit the home run. And so yeah. I just did it the way that I was raised. I, I don't know any other way. And I can't write a book on cracked codes. I mean, you are a financial genius. I've read what you've done. It's brilliant. And for me, what I would be doing is I'm more of the specialist in regards to the interpersonal communication side, because if I can't crack that code, I have no money. (laughs) So I just went to the basic level possible, which is the humanity side. Yeah. What do you love most about growing a small business? Feeding families. Once again, giving that sort of job stability, not just me, 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 and fat cat me. No, I really got to see individuals become supervisors and even a chief technical officer grew through the ranks, my floor manager, my human resources director, and the fact that I've had individuals with me over a decade. In fact, my oldest agent has been with me 13 years. Wow, that's a good sign. Giving them a pinball machine. (laughs) That's part of my, I mean, that's my retirement plan. Even though I collect them, I'm definitely giving them one away. So (laughs) the fact that someone decides to walk with me for 15 years, you can't really see yourself as their boss after a certain period of time. It's almost like when things just start meshing together after so long, you know, almost like when someone sits on the couch so much, they kind of go into the couch, become one. And there's no way that I would have been able to be where I am today if I didn't have these individuals that have decided to work with me. So it's really the reverse, my friend. I get more out of the giving than I do out of the receiving. What has been the biggest mindset shift for you in your small business growth journey? The financial responsibility. It just wasn't about myself. I realized that you need to have a lot of savings to weather storms and to buy new equipment. Or how about this? When I meet somebody's parents, and even sometimes grandparents, because we have a multi-generational culture here, and I meet someone's grandmother, and I tell them how great you are, (laughs) and they almost have to pull me away, but then I realize that I'm responsible and paying for that medicine and that roof over their head and their warm bed at night and the food on the table. And that's spiritual for me because when I was starting out, I got an internship at Telemundo in college. They didn't have to let me work there. I got a job selling beer for Corona post-grad. They didn't have to hire me. I was still young. And the fact that my friend allowed me to come to Costa Rica for four years and work with them, amazing. And so people give you opportunities. One in a million opportunities. And I'm not saying mine is the be all end all, but instead of yelling at you and making you feel bad, I am an individual that I know that when you leave me, I've made you a much stronger individual. Or that maybe you and I will keep that tradition, Troy, of knowing people's names and breaking bread with them and showing up and looking a certain way and being responsible. But that financial responsibility, especially paying taxes in the United States and setting up the corporation, especially when we build out the building. But then again, (laughs) I don't know about you, but there is a movie with Anthony Quinn called Zorba the Greek. And it's kind of funny because his boat sinks at the end and he just puts his arms out and starts dancing on the beach. And that was just his way. And I know that it could have just ended at any time. Could have been done tomorrow. 
And so every day for me, I almost put out my arms and did this little dance of just smiling, saying, I lasted another day. This thing's going on. So you might as well triple down. You might as well quadruple down. I mean, how many more hints do you need to let you know that you're winning and that you have some serious momentum? And I would have never forgiven myself if I stopped a long time ago and listened to others. The number one habit you think a small business owner needs to develop and maintain? My favorite question. Me time. The time that's away from the office, my friend. The time where you can decompress. For me, it's working out in the gym. I love playing pinball, washing my convertible car and driving to work in it, spending time with my wife. And so these are the sort of things that if you can put your phone away, how about this? Even better, even better. When given the luxury of time, if you don't need to answer immediately, and let's say, Troy, you and I are getting excited, our tone's changing, we're if I don't need to answer you right now, there's no sense of urgency. And I can write a draft, not send it. I can sleep on it. I can work out on it, eat dinner on it. Maybe I can cut a lot of fat. I can focus on priorities. I can realize, Troy, that maybe I overextended myself or didn't say enough. And then when I see it, the first thing I say is, Troy, I'm so sorry for my tone. No, Richard, it was me. No, no, no. And then all of a sudden, we really reset. I might be able to save a marriage a potential employee, a Thanksgiving dinner, a friendship. Because unless you are literally having to give an answer right then and there, because the plane is leaving, fine, that's one thing. But my goodness gracious, if there is some sort of heightened anxiety, long-term decision, this could be the breaking point, a deal breaker with a friendship. You better allow me to sleep on this because I'm going to come back to you a little more level-headed. But also in the moment, if you are getting attacked by a friend or a foe and you're not speaking, two things you need to do. Look in the middle of their eyes. It almost is like you're looking in their eyes. So they're not sucking your energy like Medusa. And the second thing is to do your active breathing. In four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. You're allowed, it's almost like the corner of a boxer. You could be speaking all you want. doesn't mean I need to be huffy puffy. I can slow down my breathing, look in the middle of your eyes, concentrate, focus, and hit it. And if worst of worst case scenario happens, close your eyes. I don't need this sort of distraction right now. I know I look funny. I'm still in the conversation, but I'm going to be avoiding any sort of stimuli and readjusting that in regards to my breathing, my balance, my focus, because this is very serious right now. It's a code red. And so... Your business owners who are under so much pressure to keep people, to land accounts, to pay bills, to make a living, you better slow down a little bit because your ego is going to get in the way and someone could always quit or they'll call you out on it. And one of your earlier questions to me is about success. I told you it was about looking at myself in the mirror. I don't want to look at my mirror and say, man, I cannot believe I said that to Troy. He's my buddy. What was I thinking? You asked me that question, I gave you a straight answer. And so I think if you are level and controlled throughout your day, because character is judged during chaos, then looking in the mirror at the end of the day, Troy, you realized we won, didn't we? That's the best bit of advice that I can give to your amazing audience that's brave enough to start their companies, but to do it the right way. Want to become the best manager you can be? Check out our kick-ass manager course at growasmallbusiness.com. Do the course and add your fellow managers for no extra cost. Join the 30%. 70% of people quit their job because of their manager.
perfect question for you. Can you talk to how you've added people to the team, some wins, mistakes, and advice for those listening? When you're adding people to a team? Yeah, so basically yes. recruitment and yeah. What a wonderful question. Let's just start off on the filtering process. I would rather bring in somebody that's got no experience, but well-educated. I can teach them a CRM and a phone system. Then a hotshot with bad habits could be a potential cancer. And hmm. just like a mercenary Troy, they're not loyal to a flag. They'll leave you for another dollar tomorrow at another call center. Yep. We don't want people like that. And I also believe in, in earning your stripes. I can bring in an IT specialist or like an attorney or something, but there's no way I'm bringing in an outside supervisor. You won't get the respect of the agents. You don't already know my culture. And so these you, are the sort of things I want to see if you could handle it. So you bring them all up from within the ranks, the team leaders? Of course. Now, naturally, my business has been around long enough that when I have a brand new campaign, I'm able to take a budding supervisor or if the campaign is just overflowing multiple individuals to then bring them to another campaign. And so I've been able to do that. Sometimes you don't have that luxury. You'll bring in a dirty dozen. You don't know anybody. My number one suggestion for you is who showed up on time? Do they have pen at the ready? No, seriously. I could care less where you sit in the classroom. You don't need to be front row center. We don't need to go there. But I want to see an individual that takes actual copious notes. I don't need perfect spelling or grammar. We'll get to that later. I just want to see if, if you are actively listening. And don't give me three steps ahead questions. I want you to be in the now. You need yes. to be in the moment. Stop being distracted. And don't give me the glazed over. If you need some sort of clarification, that's even better for me. It allows me to explain it to you multiple different ways to see if I know what I'm talking about. Are you capable of standing up in the first day and doing role playing with me? Are you capable of standing up and showing a hand as an illustrator while reading your script? Do you know what trigger words are? Do you know when to emphasize? Have you name dropped me? Don't tell me warm up time. This is time. <laughs> you told me you're the best ever, but I've also have a cracked code for you, which will assist you. Besides filling out your qualifications in the resume, I ask you to turn your piece of paper over, Troy. You need to write to me a coming of age moment. And if you give me some nonsense about something or something, I'm going to call you on it. You need to tell me a time, Troy, that you beat up a bully. That you actually saved a kitten out of a tree. And I really want a story with some blood and guts. <laughs> and I want to see it. I want to see that you actually had this grit. You had this tenacity to do something with yourself. Why do I do this? Can you actually think outside business for a second and tell me a real story about life instead of about how you did 12 sales last week? I could care less. That's not the story I'm looking for. What's the best coming number of age story you've heard? Ones where they are fully responsible of their family because of circumstance. Mm. Now, I don't pry. I'm not asking for it if they are willing to disclose. But this is what's assisting me in understanding their composure prior to coming into the office someday. So then I know that something's going on. But if they're telling me at a young age that not only are they working for a living, but they're taking care of their mother and they are paying for a car and they got a certain relationship... I think that's incredible. And I hold that even more sacred. And that's the individual that I not will give a second chance to, but I'll keep my eye on just to make sure that I'll let them know to go. Because I tell you what, you and I have very nice lives. We worked hard for it, but I count my blessings every day. And there are individuals out there that are struggling or in circumstances or beyond their control. And so when I see this one where they had to grow up fast, 
and realizing they could not miss work because they had to pay a bill or they're willing to travel 45 minutes to the city because the jobs that they have in their town up in the mountains don't pay enough. So you're telling me you're on a bus every day for 45 minutes in and out. That's an hour and a half. He goes on a good day. If there's traffic, it could take me an hour and a half to get here. And I go, so what does that mean? He goes, that means I'm getting up at 5.30 now to get to the office. And I'm saying, Troy, how much more am I going to love this kid? Because if it's not me, he's going to go to another company. Either way, he's traveling in an hour and a half. But to me, when I see him, I bring him in coffee immediately. No, coming to my place for an hour and a half away to take care of grandma. And he wrote that to me, not looking for sympathy points. I asked him for that. He wasn't writing that. I told him to write a story. But it's not always about that. Then he talks about having a girlfriend or playing soccer or having best friends that supported him because he writes you a couple paragraphs and you see that this individual has depth and it's so delicate at this very sensitive stage in life in their early 20s where you could make or break somebody. And I realize that I'm not going to go home with you and I can't give you it all, but I will do what I can. As you mentioned, my friend, that positive reinforcement. So you can get out of bed that next day and continue to fight. And so that's the way that I, I would look at something like that. What are some things you recommend to building a sustainable and kick-ass culture to help with the growth, apart from the pinball machines, of course? <laughs> Damn it, you took that away from me. Why did you take that away from me? I have a popcorn machine, so we do popcorn Fridays. I got hot dog machine. But taking food aside, you need to know somebody's name. And then you got also got to make a nickname for them that's really cool and not offensive and then start putting things on their desk. But I believe in natural lighting. There has to be somebody there to keep it clean, especially to keep Don't let people really eat at their desks because the whole floor can stink and then mm. things start getting dirty and there's bacteria there. I mean, if you're dying of food, then get off the phone and go downstairs for a minute. I'm not a slave driver, but I don't want crumbs everywhere. We just don't need you smacking food while you're on the phone with somebody. So there needs to be some sort of discipline. I'll follow labor laws, but I'm also not so rigid. It's the sort of thing where if let's, I'm talking negative things. How about positive? Troy, you just got off a 15-minute phone call with Mrs. Jones. You got the sale. You were incredible. You were standing. You were pitching. The whole floor was watching you. I don't want you to jump right back on the call. Why don't you take a couple minutes to talk to the crew? Let's go into the training room. Or if you don't want to do that, brother, go downstairs. Go get yourself a Coca-Cola. You deserve it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm on the clock. You're on my clock. You yeah. just did amazing. Go, go. Why don't you enjoy your moment? People need to enjoy the moment, the good and the bad. And even if you have a romantic death on the phone where you said, hey, Troy, nice to meet you. Who are you? Richard Blank. Hate you, Richard Blank. Click. <laughs> at least I said, Troy. <laughs> you know, at least I said my name. Yeah. You know, at least I got you twice before you <laughs> knocked me out, buddy, in the Thunderdome. But if you can make a game of it, if you can enjoy your time, as you say, look at yourself in the mirror. I created that environment of self-confidence and self-reliance. These individuals are much better with me, and especially with the thesaurus, because I increased their similes, so their vocabulary is much more diplomatic and strategic. They won't use words like help. They'll say, Troy, how may I assist you? Or allow me to lend a hand. Troy, permit me to guide you through this. <laughs> and they sound so good on the phone that I stop and I look at them, and they look at me and give me a thumbs up. I go, look with them. Look at them now. 
look at Mr. Sunshine. And the next thing the client calls back and goes, Troy was the nicest ever. Troy's the greatest ever. You know what happens then? If you get positive escalations, you get prizes and money at call centers. Mm. So why do you think the agents do it? <laughs> and so it's almost like a win-win, my friend. They make yeah. an amazing phone call. They get prizes from it. And it's not that you pushing the sale. You did it naturally. And so that's why people are able to live with themselves when they're doing this sort of profession. Tell our audience how you've handled balance. Oh, a lot of it had to do with my diet. I just can't go quick, fast food. It's got to be very healthy, strong breakfast in the morning. I recommend juicing vegetables. The gym is very important for the release and for the strength. I like to go to bed early at night to get my at least my eight hours. I like to dress a certain way because I like to feel a certain image. And the balance is really about being true to myself because taking it all away, the business and any sort of networking that I have, I still am capable of speaking Spanish. I have essence. There's an open-mindedness to me in regards to cultures, traditions. And so if I'm capable of being invited somewhere and having somebody accept me, I could easily begin anytime at any place. And so my balance is in not being fearful of losing everything. I already did lose everything. I never had anything to begin with. This is just a dream. And so if I can live with myself the same way tomorrow, that gives me the balance today. And it's easier said than done. But if you're capable of getting in that sort of mind space, you should have very good days. How much professional development have you invested in yourself? Not too much. I went to the university. That was it. And the rest was the university of life. I believe that there's individuals out there that can inspire you. I'm not really into the self-help books. But I like biographies. I like individuals that are not here anymore and had one shot at it and decided to do things in a romantic renaissance way. And my professional development is not to be in a box or to memorize and master all of the expectations that have been built around me that are constantly changing because that only frustrates me. Have you had mentors or coaches along the way? Just more friends and family members. And I will say that maybe managers and bosses that I had in the past that liked my unique personality, realized that there was a sincere smile behind it and let me do what I needed to do to be successful. But I didn't want that sort of life. What, what concerned me was that's not what I wanted to strive for. I was very impressed with their growth at the company and their title, their position. But in my mind, I wasn't in competition with them. I was not a threat to steal their job because I didn't see myself doing that long term. It just, when I close my eyes, I just didn't see 10 years from now when you always ask that sort of question. But when you said, Richard, you speak Spanish, close your eyes. I go, I know I'm going to do something with Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in another country. So I kind of could smell and feel where my destiny was, where the X on the map was. That felt more natural for me. And so my mentors were individuals that were really following their own paths in life and were successful at it. Do you have a board of directors or advisors? I do not. All right, Richard, we're on our final five questions. What do you think is the hardest thing in growing a small business? The first step, believing in yourself enough that you can weather the storm. Unless you hit the lottery and you just create something like a miner and you hit gold or find oil, 
that's instant riches. You need to see this thing through. It's very slow. It's a tortoise compared to a hare. 10% of companies make it a year, 1% make it 10 years. And do not compare yourselves with these overnighters, these big ones and the things that you see in, in the shining lights. Most companies are the grind in the shadows, working out of homes. And so if you are prepared to have that sort of forced march mindset, then take your first step and then go for it. Favorite business book, which has helped you the most? Ooh, didn't read too many of those. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't really refer to any of those business books, but I mean, Eat and Grow Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Make Friends, Influence People. I mean, Zig Ziglar's stuff, it's just... Yeah, he's good. I'm more into the movies. So I like things like even your Australian movie, your 1972 Walkabout. I enjoyed that about having your spiritual journey and finding oneself. That's a great movie. It's a classic here. Any great podcasts or online learning tools you use for your own professional development? You said you don't really do that much. I've been on a bunch of podcasts. I listen. I'm so open-minded that I like individuals that have second and third follow-up questions. Because some podcasts, I just see it as a question, move along, and they're racking points and racking guests. But when somebody has a real sincere conversation and they go off cuff, and you have dogs in the background, you talk about other things besides <laughs> really what the main topic was. Yep. Those are my favorite ones because I get to see when the mask comes off. And this individual that's so successful and has such influence and so many followers, what do they really like when they miss a stride? And what can I really see what has gotten them there? Because when they've learned to smile and laugh and as you say, maybe not miss a beat, then they haven't lost what got them there to begin with and they're still enjoying it. So I guess I'm just looking for any sort of topic that maybe I never really listened to before, just to see A's if it interests me, if I can understand it, if it keeps my attention. And if I'm inspired enough to reach out to somebody like I did with you and introduce myself. One tool you'd recommend to help grow a small business? Advisors. I think they're experts in so many different industries that could not only save you time, but save you money and save you headaches. But be very careful because some people can give you bad advice. But when I've been directed in regards to the IT department, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I found that fascinating and I needed somebody there. Since I'm a guest in Costa Rica, I definitely needed an attorney to know the labor laws and the things that would make my time here more safe and legal and accountants. Because we were growing so fast, I needed assistance there. And the human resources department, just because of the amount of interviews and contracts and communication with the staff. And I find it fascinating because to me, I think everybody should want to do what I want to do. But no, there are individuals out there that love many different types of industries and vocations and careers. And when I see somebody having a passion towards a department or a resource that may assist me, it's my pleasure to bring them on board and to work with them. It's almost growing the Justice League of superheroes. We're all great in our own way, but we also have our own special sauce. Yeah. Final and my favorite question. What would you tell yourself on day one of starting out? You're going to lose your hair. <laughs> which i did yeah which i'd have told myself that as well except mine i haven't lost it all yeah you say is it worth it is it <laughs> worth it but yeah i mean it's gonna happen anyway but on the first day again is to and which i have is to enjoy the journey because i told you this is a one in a million shot it should have never happened tomorrow could be my last day could be my first and so 
every day to me was really a rebirth of, I cannot believe this is happening. I'm from Northeast Philadelphia. Spanish was my second language. Moved here at 27, started my company 15 years ago. How did this happen? It did. <laughs> and so for me, I guess, how about this? If I only had that one seat for 50 hours, I still would have gone back to the United States, a proud man. I was willing to die with my boots on. And guess what? At least I got one. At least I got one. <laughs> one feather in my cap, Troy. And so little did I know that you should hold on tight because you don't know how fast or how strong this is going to go too. But don't let it go to your head. Like I mentioned the pinball machine, sure, buy your toys and buy your gifts and stuff. But eventually your jewels will lose its luster. You're looking for something else. And really the self-fulfillment, knowing the fact that I had the courage, the ability to take that first step that we spoke about is incredible to know that you have something like that inside of you. It came from our great, 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 great grandparents. You know that the ones that were able to survive tough winters and go out hunting and build fires and homes and travel. And so it got passed along. And I guess it's just the natural side of me that had to just go for it just to be able to live my life. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks very much for your time, sir. I think the audience will enjoy and get a lot out of what you shared with us. Congratulations on the phenomenal growth over 15 years, starting on your own to now 150 people and looking after those families as well by giving them a good job and a great place to work. So really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on today. Had a wonderful time, my friend. You do an excellent interview. And when I come to Australia, I'm definitely going to come visit. Definitely. Yeah, we might have to go and see a Crowded House concert together. I'm going later this year. So. That's sweet. Sounds like a plan. We're getting some great iTunes reviews. For those listening, please pop over to your podcast app and leave us a review.